Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hello, everyone. We are Stephanie and Fox from Evolve Your Intimacy, sitting in for Carol and David in this week's episode of the Sexy Lifestyle Podcast. Are you ready to spice up your sex life? Well, you've come to the right place because that is what the sexy lifestyle is all about. We are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. And we love talking about relationships, intimacy, sexuality, sexual health, sex, and pleasure. We love diving deep into the naughty, the taboo, the unknown, and the undiscussed and hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex, intimacy, and sexual health. Because great sex matters, and we all deserve it. I have a very important question to ask. Men, do you watch, enjoy, and consume porn? Is your partner okay with your porn use, or do they shame you for it? Have you been labeled a sex addict by loved ones or even a professional because of pornography use? And ladies, do you see porn as cheating or wrong? Or do you watch it with your partner? Why do most couples not utilize porn as a healthy tool for their sex life? I'm lucky enough to have a partner who both encourages me and watches pornography with me from time to time. On today's show, we're gonna be talking to Dr. David Lay and getting his professional opinion on touchy topics that are quickly becoming hot-button debates within society. Topics such as responsible and healthy approaches to pornography use and reducing the harmful impact of sexual shame. Let's just take a moment to talk about the top waterproof blanket because great sex is messy sex and no one wants to sleep in that wet spot. If you're fed up with having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need to own your own top waterproof blanket. It's 100% waterproof and leak proof, and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oils or silicone lubes to all sorts of sexy wetness, just throw it in the washer and dryer and it comes out looking like brand new. And you don't have to leave your house to get one, simply and safely go to Amazon and order yours today. Search T-O-P, Top Waterproof Blanket. That's T-O-P, Waterproof Blanket. Great sex starts now. This is A Sexy Lifestyle, and we are Stephanie and Fox, and we are extremely excited to welcome today's special guest. Dr. David J. Lay is a world-renowned clinical psychologist known for bringing scientifically accurate and clinically sound information to discussions about modern sexuality. He serves on the board of the Sexual Health Alliance as an expert advisor and is an internationally recognized expert on issues related to sexuality, pornography, and mental health. He wrote a book called Ethical Porn for Dicks, A Man's Guide to Responsible Viewing Pleasure. And David, how are you tonight? I'm good, thanks. Happy to be here. Well, so I was reading a lot about you, and Dan Savage says that there's a lot of screaming, yelling, and smut shaming out there about porn. David Lay's reasonable, calm, 
informed writing about porn should be read by anyone interested in porn, and it should be a required reading for anyone tempted to legislate about it. That's a strong statement. That is a very yeah, strong and powerful statement. statement. Yeah, Dan's a Dan's an amazing guy. I mean, I think a lot of us a lot of us grew up and learned about you know accepting our sexuality from Dan. And the the really cool thing is, I mean, I I I, I had this you know admiration for Dan Savage for years, um, and tried to reach out to him and. Could just never connect. I mean, the, the guy is pretty popular. Lots of people want to connect with him. And then we're on a listserv together. My my first book is is uh, called Insatiable Wives about cuckolding and hot wifing. And uh, so Dan posted a, a some kind of email requesting somebody to um, comment on on a, a letter he'd gotten about cuckolding. And I wrote I wrote back and I was. I probably had a beer at the time or something, and I probably shouldn't have sent an email, <laughs> but in, but but I did, and I said, "Would you just read my fucking book?" And he wrote back and said, "Well, why don't you just respond to this question for me then?" And now we've ended up becoming really good friends. And a couple of years ago, Dan, um, it was actually interesting after the um, after the legalization of of marriage equality, 2015 Supreme Court. Dan Dan had previously said cuckolding is not a thing in the gay community because gay men don't care if their husbands go off and screw other people. And then all of a sudden, Dan started getting all these emails and requests from people about gay cuckolding. And he he wrote me on the side and he said, do you think that is because of the Supreme Court decision? Did it did it create a taboo? Right. Because now you know, with them legalizing gay marriage, it now legalized kind of monogamy in theory. And I said, it's an interesting question. Why don't we do a research study about it? And Dan said, I've never published a research study before. And I said, I get to pop Dan Savage's cherry. Yay. And he said, I didn't know I had any cherries left. <laughs> the, I guess the, the thing I'll say to your listeners is that be careful who you idolize and, and, and who you look up to. Because if you do it right, they end up becoming your friends. Mm, I like um, that. And that is a really cool experience. Mm. That is. Yes, good. So why did you feel like you needed to write the book for, for a responsible viewing pleasure for, for dicks? There's a lot of guys named Richard out yeah. there who watch a lot of pornography mm -hmm. and they need acceptance. Yeah, my dad hated the title, the, you know, the, the dicks in the title. And, and, and literally, I've gotten emails from people in um, Utah who said they had to read my book with like a paper, um, a brown paper wrapping around it so that people wouldn't <laughs> see what they're reading. The thing about that book, and, and so, um, well, I mean, so it's, it's kind of an interesting story. So I dedicated that book to Katie Couric because... Back in like 2016, I think, I um, uh, did a, a spot on Katie Couric's talk show about pornography. And in the, in the talk, I mean, it didn't go well. Um, uh, let's just start there. And Katie uh, had some strong moralistic feelings about pornography. And as I talked about the research about pornography, she didn't want to hear it. And at one point, she even like literally hit herself in the head and said, you know, Dr. Lay, if you talk about what the research shows one more time, um, I'm just going to flip out or something. 
and it was it, it was an interesting message to me that you know I'm really good talking about the research, but apparently people's reactions to sexuality and pornography are so strong that talking about research doesn't get in. So I was at the time working on this book around you know pornography use. So I went back and I rewrote it. I rewrote it three times with the intent of drafting it so that it was accessible. And I, I, I ended up writing it as though I was having a beer with a guy talking about pornography rather than talking about research. Mm-hmm. And it was successful. I mean, it worked out. I think I think it's an accessible book that 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 helps people, you know, kind of think about their pornography use in 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 different ways. But I I owe it all to Katie Couric, who, um, yeah, I mean, I got as drunk after that experience as I think I've ever been in my life. It was painful. Your, your, <laughs> your viewers can see the videos on YouTube, and they can uh, you know relish my pain. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Do you think so? Totally side note question off something you said and something I was thinking as you were telling that story. Because you wrote the book the way you did, do you think that people have such a strong feeling that they're willing to ignore a scientific process or legitimate numbers because they need to fill their ideology to make themselves feel safe about pornography? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I think the. the i mean you don't have to go far right now to find you know really challenging conflicts between ideology and science and you know a lot of my career has involved bumping up against people who believe that the strength of their belief is the equivalent of my scientific evidence for a while i joked I, I, that i wished people could have a blue light and a red light installed in their forehead and the blue light you know comes on when you're using rational reasoning the red light comes on when you're using emotional kind of faith-based reasoning both are valid i just want to know what i'm dealing with the thing i struggle with is when i'm talking to somebody that thinks or pretends that they are talking about stuff from a rational, reasonable kind of place, but in fact, they are coming from a moral kind of commitment. So an example of this actually, um, so I was giving a talk in, in Las Vegas, which the locals in Las Vegas and in Nevada are surprisingly conservative. I don't know if a lot of people know that, but I was giving a talk and this psychologist stood up in the audience and she said, Dr. Lay, I, I truly believe that pornography and casual sex pose a threat to the continued existence of the human race. That is a very large statement to unpack. Right. And she thinks she's being rational there. But clearly she's not. Clearly this is coming from an, an emotional place. But sex and pornography discussions about them bring, bring that about. Now, an opposing example, um, uh, a guy named Sam Perry, who's a sociologist in Oklahoma, he published his dissertation research about, I don't want to, maybe eight years ago, something like that. And his research at the time showed that pornography use increased risk of divorce 
And the media went wild. This was all over the damn news because the media loves to sensationalize this kind of stuff. And I was one of the people that said, well, really? And the cool thing is that Sam is a a very good scientist who um, really wants to, to, you know, trust the data. And I got to know him. And uh, a couple of years later, Sam went back and he reanalyzed that research. And he and he found that if you factored out masturbation, because pornography use is code for masturbation. 90% of of pornography use is accompanied by masturbation. So we can't really have a good discussion about the effects of pornography if we don't talk about the fact that there are, there is, you know, choking the chicken or clicking the big happening as people are watching this material. Sam went back and he reanalyzed that research and he found that in fact, if you factored out the role of masturbation, Pornography use actually had a neutral to slightly positive effect on relational stability or longevity. Now, it's not that masturbation is bad for marriages, but increased masturbation by one partner in a relationship reflects a decreased sexual synchronicity within the relationship. Um, reflects, uh, you know, I, I see a lot of men sent to me as porn addicts and, and, and the wife says, well, he's not having sex with me. He's, he's watching porn instead and jerking off to porn. There's one thing that has always happened with those relationships is they stopped having sex as frequently. And then the guy starts watching pornography to compensate. So it's not that the pornography or the masturbation are the issue. They're a symptom of the bigger issue but when we I, I call it sexy shiny object syndrome whenever there's this sexy kind of symptom that we can point to people get distracted by that and they want to blame that when the reality is people and relationships and sexuality are very complex and any solution for those issues needs to be equally complex but people always want to say, well, stop jerking off, stop watching porn, stop cheating on your partner, whatever. It's a lot more complicated than that. You know, that, yeah, that's a really strong point. And it kind of kind of leads us into our next question because we have a very large influx of couples that come to see us. And a lot of the times sex addiction, that term is brought up. Whether, well, my wife's addicted to sex or more so often in our area in Central Texas, we hear the opposite. Well, it's the yep. man is a, he's masturbating to porn. He's addicted to sex. It's ruining his life. It's ruining our relationship. Stephanie and I personally do not believe in sex addiction. Uh, we believe that overuse of masturbation or porn can hurt you on some level, but we don't believe in the addiction part. She believes it's a compulsion versus an addiction. So what are your thoughts on sex addiction in itself? Well, I mean, I wrote a whole goddamn book about it. I know. Um, Should have read that motherfucker <laughs> before we got on. No, actually, yeah, I have. It's called, but... called The Myth of Sex Addiction. And um, I didn't intend to become Don Quixote, you know, tilting at windmills over this crap. But that apparently was my lot in life. So sex, uh, try and give you a kind of a, a short sort of primer. The concept of sex addiction was really introduced in the United States in the early 1980s. 
And there were a couple of things that were going on in the 1980s that really fed this 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 issue. One was that you know Reaganism and our country took a very significant shift to the right around sexual politics. In the 1970s, we had the free love movement. 1980s, we became much more sexually conservative. Mm -hmm. The other thing that was happening was HIV and the AIDS crisis. And so all of a sudden, unrestrained sexuality, particularly male unrestrained sexuality, and especially male bisexual or homosexual sexual behaviors, were terrifying and life-threatening. And then all of a sudden, this concept of sex addiction was introduced with the idea that we could treat sexual desires like a craving for drugs and alcohol. And the thing is that it, it, it kind of worked by bringing people together and kind of 12-stepping it. People were, were able to try to assert control over their sexual desires and behaviors. But what we know now, 40 years later, is that there was a lot of other stuff in the mix. So 95% of, of, of people identified as sex addicts are male because the, the definition of sex addiction is largely based on a condemnation of masculine sexuality, interest in sex for recreation, sex for distraction, sex with people you don't know, uh, impulsive sexuality, sexual sensation seeking, sex exciting kind of behaviors, etc. Uh, gay and bi men are at three times the risk of being called sex yeah. addicts. And again, that's because this is a concept that was really born during the time that we viewed homosexuality as a life-threatening disease. The interesting, the more interesting thing right now is that somebody identifying as a sex addict doesn't actually have more sex than anybody else. They don't watch more porn than anybody else but they are more likely to have grown up in a religious or morally conservative background. When I see, and I see a lot of patients come to me that say, you know, I, I think I'm addicted to sex. What I translate that in my brain to mean is I am afraid of my ability to control my sexual desires. That I think is really powerful. Mm, what, is. What, what the concept of sex addiction is saying is I want to engage in sexual behaviors that I was taught would make me a bad person. What really then gets complicated, unfortunately, is that the more shame and moral conflict we have about our sexual desires, the less self-control we have. So the, the, more, the, the more we try to stamp down our sexual desires, the more we try to ignore them. There's a, a research study in, in, in Israel by Yanev Efrati where he found that the more people try not to think about masturbation, the more people try not to masturbate because of their religious values, the more they think about masturbation. Well, that's the fixation. When you tell yourself not to think about it, you're going to think about it. Don't think about a pink and elephant. That's now right. You're thinking and when about you tell elephant. yourself you're an awful person for thinking about it or doing it, now you start hating yourself, and sometimes the only way to escape that feeling is to get turned on. Because when we are turned on, when we're sexually aroused, our brain really does stop thinking about those things that we're worried about. Sexual arousal is a fabulous way to turn off anxiety for a little while. Unfortunately, men 
are a group that are less likely to have a diversity of coping strategies. Mm -hmm. And so what I see a lot of is men who've never learned or practiced any other ways to manage anxiety or depression. So sexual arousal to pornography or sexual behavior um, is a very effective way, but it shouldn't be your only way. That I think is the, is the place where the sex addiction folks, I'm not saying they got it right, but they hit on something important, which is that if sexuality is the only way you can make negative feelings go away, then you're likely to end up in problems. Because if you get stressed out during a PTA meeting mm -hmm. and looking at porn is the only way you can manage your stress, that might not go well. So what I work with, again, what you know, when I see sexual behavior problems, I don't have a lot of universals as a therapist because I, as a psychologist, I live in the gray zone. Amen. But the one, yeah, the one, the one universal I will say is that when I see sexual behavior problems, they are exclusively symptomatic of some other issue. And for us to support people who are struggling with these issues, we need to better identify what that issue is. I mean, 90, not, uh, multiple studies find that 90% of, uh, of alleged sex addicts have a major mental health issue, typically uh, depressive disorder or an anxiety disorder. And the sexual behavior is symptomatic of that. But if we just treat the sex, we're missing the point and that person is gonna go on and suffer in other ways. So let's hang on for just a second. We need to do a quick shout out to one of our show sponsors and we'll be right back. This is The Sexy Lifestyle with Stephanie and Fox and we're talking with author and psychologist, Dr. David Lay. Stay right there. Topless travel is the best, and if you're looking for the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever, then you simply must book with Topless Travel. From Hito 2 in Jamaica and Desire in Cancun to all the Bliss Cruise experiences, Topless Travel needs to be your number one choice. Their trips and their events are all about the people, of course, and their sexy fun experiences. So let's just shout out to all the sexy host couples, including Chelsea and Mark, who are there to ensure that you have one hell of a sexy vacation. Absolutely, and you're going to find us on many of Topless Travels trips, but listen up. The one we're really looking forward to is their Sexy Silver Full Takeover at Desire Pearl, October 16th to 23rd, 2022. We're going to be there broadcasting live. Rooms are selling out quickly, so book now and just come and join us for a week. You're going to have a blast and we'd love to meet you. Yeah, and for any more information about this trip or any other Topless Travel event, you can go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, and click on the Topless Travel Events link to book the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever. This is The Sexy Lifestyle with Stephanie and Fox sitting in for Carol and David today. Now let's get back to our show with author and psychologist Dr. David Lay. Now David, before the break, you were talking about our the sex addiction and how it's just, you know, we need to really be hitting other areas of our compulsions and our, our strengths. When I was a young psychologist and I, I started working with sex offenders back in the 90s, we were taught that when a, when a sex offender had a deviant sex fantasy, fantasy of, of sexually abusing a child, for instance, that we should encourage them to scream stop at the top of their lungs, out loud or in their head. But the research actually found that that intervention made it worse, just like trying not to think about masturbation. The, the, the more energy you put into trying to make a sexual thought go away, the more powerful that sexual thought becomes. I call it the stop sign. Yeah. 
you know, kind of strategy that, that trying to stop issues. And then as a psychologist and as a therapist, I started thinking about, well, we spend so much goddamn time focused on the stop signs. Mm -hmm. Do we ever pay attention to the go signs? Do we ever tell patients, do this more? And that was where I started going. I started saying, rather than trying to stop you from engaging in a certain behavior, let us try to reinforce and incentivize and energize other behaviors. So when a person comes to me and they say, you know, I'm a porn addict, I'm, I'm, I'm watching too much porn. I don't say, you know, you probably are, you should stop watching porn. Instead, I say, what are the things that you would be doing other than watching porn if you weren't watching porn? Well, I'd be, I'd be finishing my degree. I would be socializing. I'd be working out. I'd be losing weight. And then when the patient comes back, I don't ask them about the porn. I ask them, hey, have you exercised in the past week? Have you socialized? How are you doing on school? I focus on the go signs rather than the stop signs. The more we can energize the positive things in people's lives, the less influence those potentially negative things have. When people say to you that porn is cheating, because, you know, I, I think we have a lot. I have I have one in particular client I'm thinking about right now that is just flipping out because her husband was viewing porn and that was cheating on her. Yeah. And, you know, you're talking about reinforcing these positive behaviors. And we've talked about that. Not going to say too much of what I told her. I said, maybe you should start having sex with them. But, you know, that's from professional advice from a sex therapist right there. Have sex with your partner. But what are your thoughts on, uh, you know, porn being considered cheating? Well, so, I mean, it, 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 it's a good question and an issue that has come up quite a bit. A Florida psychologist named uh, N-E-G-Y, Negi, Charles Negi, he did some research on this and he, and he found that when he compared American subjects to European subjects, American folks were much more likely to view watching porn as cheating. Interestingly, within the American folks, having low self-esteem, not being in a relationship right now, and being religious were the predictor predictors of viewing porn as cheating. In Europe, almost nobody viewed porn as cheating. And I asked Nagy about it, and he said, well, it's, it's two reasons. He said, one, they, in Europe, they just don't take sex and infidelity quite as seriously as the United States does. And then he says also, they're less religious overall overall the europeans are less religious than the united states and so when when somebody is viewing porn as cheating it is it is most often a moral you know kind of conflict with those folks though if i can get them moving what i start asking them or talking to them about is what do you think it means that your partner is watching cheating well, it means I'm not as attractive it mean, um, as I used to be. It means that maybe he's interested in people or sex or partners that look different than me. It means, some say, well, it means that he is exploiting women. He's watching women who are being uh, sexually abused or taken advantage of. I actually enjoy when somebody brings that up because then I get to say, well, you know, there is this thing called ethical, ethical pornography, pornography where it is 
largely female produced where the uh, the producers and performers are consenting there's no exploitation here the except by you know the internet and Pornhub that are stealing performers material and stuff like that so if we could resolve that issue and and your you knew that your partner was watching material where women weren't being exploited would that make it okay well no i'd still feel bad about it okay then then we're not talking about the pornography we're we're talking about you yeah your comfort level there i do recommend a a a nice book called um making peace with porn by allison vivas v-i-v-a-s and she was a she is or was a porn producer and she talks she talks to women about what they think pornography is versus what it actually is i after i wrote ethical porn for dicks this uh this guy in utah actually uh he he read an early version and he and he wrote me and he said you know after reading this i realized that pornography for me is the same thing as my as the vibrator is for my wife it's a tool to enhance sexual arousal. And the research actually supports that, 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 that there's multiple studies that find that when largely men watch pornography and masturbate versus not watch pornography and masturbate, they have a stronger erection, a more powerful orgasm with the pornography. Pornography works to turn us on. That's what it's for. So it is a tool to enhance sexual arousal. And if we think about it that way, then maybe we can start changing some of our reaction to it. I, I, I share with many women that pornography for men is the equivalent of what romance novels are for many women, that it's a, a chance to escape into a simpler fantasy world where relationships and sex aren't as complicated. No, I, I said that's that's similar to what fantasy is for me. Because so, for instance, when I watch porn, I'm not really looking at the porn itself. That's kind of a that's the starter of it all. Uh, you it's know, it's, trigger, yeah, yeah, it's kind of turning the key, and then I just close my eyes, and my my mind takes over the rest, and I don't even watch the porn anymore. I'm listening to the audio, and I'm utilizing that tool, but it's not really about the porn at that point. Yeah, it's a it, again, it's a tool to kickstart something in your brain, which is really kind of cool and, and, and that our sexuality can work that way. Absolutely. But let's talk about the porn sex versus real sex. So if we're going to talk about with our partners and we're trying to talk about the difference and, you know, this partner is like, well, why can't you have real sex with me? Why do you have to have porn sex? And, you know, and all of this stuff or why do you have to have that tool? Well, or especially for the younger generation, the drastic difference between reality reality and what you see on a TV screen, which are is produced by a producer, professional actors. It is a theatrical uh, – what's the term I'm looking for? It's a display, mm-hmm. and it's not real for the most part. How, how is it that we teach teenagers to drive and drive safely? Right, we put them through a driver's school, yep. a driver's course. Right, we teach them the rules of the road. We don't let kids to learn to drive by watching Fast and the Furious. Right, that's what porn is. Porn is Fast and the Furious. Porn is fantasy. The problem here is that 
we're not teaching kids what real sex is. So if they go to porn, they see that all women are easy to satisfy. Just, you know, show up, have a hard penis and bring a bunch of friends. And lots of lube, obviously. And lot, well, but interestingly, they don't show using the lube very much. I did take a tour of kink.com when they were still in um, uh, San Francisco. And uh, it's amazing. I've got a picture somewhere of it. They've got these 55 gallon drums of lube. Oh, wow. And, and they said, you know, you, you can never have enough lube. In, in, in pornography, they make anal sex look really easy, right? You don't need to prep. You don't need to lube. You don't need to relax. You just jump in. There's never but a real sex doesn't work that way. The, the, the challenge is that we have grossly and, frankly, criminally neglected our young people in preparing them for the modern sexual world. And then we throw them into this world with internet porn and everything else. We never taught them to swim, and then we're surprised when they drown. Absolutely. That's on us. We did that. So I think the... The, the, the problem is that we fail to recognize that pornography is fantasy. That's what it's for. It is fantasy disconnected from reality because real sex is actually work. You know, you have to be mindful. You have to pay attention to your partner. You have to exert some levels of self-control and self-management. Um, it's great work if you can get it. But it's work. You have to be. You have to be self-aware. Mm -hmm. But when we watch pornography and masturbate, we just get to relax. We get to focus just on our own pleasure, and we get to pretend that the rest of the world doesn't exist. That is an amazing escape. But we shouldn't pretend that that escape is reality. If we never teach people what reality is, if we never teach young people what reality is. Then yeah, they're gonna they're gonna engage in unhealthy or unhelpful porn sex rather than figuring out what healthy, positive, enjoyable, pleasurable sex looks like for themselves and their partner. Moving into us teaching our children, I think it's also very important that we teach our children about the various styles of relationships. That, you know, yes, you see we, we see a specific style of sex on porn. You have the acrobatic sex. You have the what other kind of... I mean, you have all kinds of sex that you see on porn, but it's also we need to start teaching them about the different dynamics of relationships, consensual mm -hmm. non-monogamy, polyamory, that there's not just one way to do it. And about about the communication. I mean, the, the thing that porn doesn't show um and and i mentioned kink.com but one of the one of the interesting things about kink.com's videos is that they always show afterwards the consent negotiations that people went through before mm -hmm. engaging in these behaviors um that is re a really educational it's also an interesting liability and risk management strategy by showing that this material was consensual they actually insulate themselves somewhat from 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 accusations but we need to teach young people more about how to talk about sex i mean if i could go back in time and talk to young you know 13 year old david lay I would tell him, learn to listen. 
that simply listening to people is a incredibly erotic and b it's then how you learn how to connect with them in a positive and healthy sex sexual way how do you like to be touched mm. you know well i i want you to touch me in a way that shows that you're part of this experience and that that we're together here oh wow that's cool that's really exciting i want to hear that because because now i want to touch you and see if that worked right and also we need to recognize that you know when we're turned on it can be challenging to have a good safe healthy conversation because discussions of consent and safety and everything else is difficult when we're aroused. Um, Dan Ariely is a neuroeconomist out in Stanford, and he did this really interesting study where he sent laptops home with with, with college students, and he asked them to um, answer questions on the laptop. You know, would you have sex with somebody you don't know? Sex without a condom? Yada yada. Then he asked them to watch pornography on the laptop while they masturbated, and sometimes the computer would freeze and those questions would pop up again. And the research supported the, the fact that when we are turned on, when we're horny, we are more likely to agree to things that we wouldn't agree to when we're not turned on because we want the porn to come back. Yeah. We want the sex to come back, right? Yeah. And I think it's a lesson that we all need to learn. God knows I have learned this a time or two in my life that it's easy to say these things and it can be much more difficult to enact them in real life. And I, as a therapist, as a psychologist, as a writer, I've always tried to be really compassionate and understanding that, you know, this is much harder than we pretend it is. It and, is. And, and all, of, all of the judgment just makes it even more difficult. I agree, and it's it's difficult. I have a question. Does the idea of sex addiction change or alter because a couple is consensually non-monogamous? Okay, well, you guys got me. That's a question nobody has ever asked me before. Um, way to go. You're welcome. Uh, Thank hear. you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you, Fox. So I, I treated this one guy who he was married three times, and his uh both of his first two wives and the therapist that they each of them saw told him he was a sex addict because the guy was really really interested in swinging and his wives didn't want to swing and he wouldn't let it go his third wife cured him he wasn't a sex addict anymore after he married her because she was a swinger she was as into swinging as he was uh-huh the issue resolved when he found a sexual style that he could negotiate consensually that matched himself. One of the things I talk about is sexual integrity, that we need to understand our own sexuality, negotiate and develop a relationship that is consistent with our own sexuality rather than inconsistent or incongruent. However, I'm going to I'm going to circle back and I'm going to sound like a hypocrite though because I do see individuals who have an unhealthy approach to sexuality who pursue non-monogamy because they think it is going to be a free for all where they don't have to be responsible for their behaviors. Oh, goodness, yes. 
that I, I that brings me back to an important point that I, I try to make as often as I can that we need to think about what healthy sexuality looks like. Two colleagues of mine, Doug Brown Harvey and Michael Vigorito, have a lovely book called Treating Out of Control Sexual Behavior. And they, they say before we can start identifying sex as unhealthy and treating it, first we need to figure out what healthy sex is. So they propose a model, and the model is it's not just theirs. It's been around in the field for a while, where healthy sex is sex that is honest, sex that is consensual, sex that is mutual, sex that has shared values, sex that pays attention to safety, pregnancy, etc., and sex that doesn't involve exploitation. What I like to say about this is, you know, if I'm in the hotel tonight and I meet you at a bar and, and I, I say, wow, we're really hitting it off. I like you a lot. And, and I think this could really go somewhere. We could really develop an amazing relationship with either Stephanie or Fox. You guys are both beautiful. And we go up to the room and we have hot sex. We have sex that is incredibly pleasurable. There are orgasms all over the ceiling. But the next morning, I don't call you because, in fact, I didn't want a long-term relationship, but I knew you did. That might have been very, very pleasurable sex, but was it healthy? No, because it involved exploitation. It involved dishonesty. So rather than trying to say a certain kind of sex is healthy and a certain kind of sex is unhealthy, instead, I want to talk about how you do it. Can you do non-monogamy in a healthy way? Absolutely. With consent, dialogue, shared values, communication, negotiation. But can you do non-monogamy in an unhealthy way? Yeah. If you're an unhealthy person who is engaging in selfish, dishonest, impulsive behavior, then your sexual behaviors are likely to be unhealthy regardless of monogamy or not. Yeah, that's a really great point. All right, so we're going to take a second break. Let's just remind everyone that this is a sexy lifestyle, and we are Stephanie and Fox sitting in for Carol and David today, and we are having an amazing discussion with author and psychologist Dr. David Lay. But now, let's tell you a little bit about who we are and what we do. Ladies, are you ready to take your intimacy to the next level? Head over to our website to find out about relationship, intimacy, and sex counseling. And gentlemen, are you needing a little bit more? Join us at stephanieandfox.com to learn tips on how to communicate with that special someone and ignite that flame. So are you interested in vaginal rejuvenation and sexual health? It's a topic that we want to talk about more because how we look and how we feel make a huge difference in the way we live sexy. The company Lumisk has developed an easy treatment system for vaginal rejuvenation. It's a product that you can use on yourself and at home. It's a carboxy gel called CO2 Lift V. You simply mix together two packets of gel and apply it to your vulva and inside your vagina before bedtime and then rinse it out in the morning. The gel infuses CO2 into the skin to encourage blood flow. It promotes healing and cell regeneration. And the great thing is that there's no discomfort or downtime. This CO2 Lift V treatment keeps your vaginal tissue healthy and happy. It increases lubrication and sensation and makes sex more fun at any age. 
After you finish the initial course of weekly treatments, you can easily maintain your results with applications once a month. Also, it's a sure way to snap back after a long night of great sex. For more information, visit co2lift.com, buy yours today, and get a 15% discount if you use promo code SEXYLIFE at checkout. That's S-E-X-Y-L-I-F-E. Great sex starts now. And remember, if you're looking for an online open-minded community to meet compatible people in your area, you should go to sdc.com and use promo code 30314 for your first month free. So check it out. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back. This is A Sexy Lifestyle. And now, let's get back to the show with author and psychologist, Dr. David Lay. David. I this is the fun part where I want to know all of the the new adventures that you're working on, all of the fun things that you're doing, <clears throat> and just kind of fill us in on the world and through your eyes. Sure is interesting times, right? You know, we all lived lived through the past two years, the pandemic and and every other damn thing. Yeah, it was interesting last year early on. Do you remember people talking about the? The baby boom. They, yes. they they were saying that we you know what are we going to call them? We're going to we're going to call them Corona babies or something like that because there's going to be all these babies born from all the sex people are having because they're trapped in the house. And I was one of the skeptics, and I came out and said, I don't know about that because I think there's a lot of stress going on. I think there's a lot of depression. I think people are worried about economics and politics and every other damn thing. That's not super sexy. It turns out I was right. Imagine I love that. it when I'm right. Yeah. An expert and that's right. That's right. And it turns out that actually we're having a baby bust because during the pandemic, during the stress of every of everything, people weren't actually having as much sex. People were using more protection because they didn't want to have kids amidst all of this. That is this interesting role that I've stepped into. I, I have been blessed and granted this interesting footprint and platform to push back against sex panic. Mm-hmm. And um, in the media, in our government, in our legal institutions, in our in, in mental health industry, most therapists don't have training in sexuality, and that is reprehensible because people who have more sex live longer people who have more sex are happier and have more satisfied relationships but we've got you know roughly 90 percent of therapists out there who don't know how to talk about sex and they're trying to help people have healthy lives so i'm out one of the other things i get to do is train therapists and sexuality coaches and consultants on how to talk about this stuff in mm-hmm. healthy and positive grounded scientifically valid ways how to be aware of the morality that intrudes it's i gotta say it's fucking cool mm-hmm. i mean i just i get to try and make a difference with all of the people that you know people like you stephanie and your listeners are talking to and working with and that's kind of amazing i mean i an old girlfriend of mine used to say you know david all of your writing all of your speaking is is in defense of you know 13 year old little pervert david lay yeah she's kind of right because i think that the world would be at a better place without all all of the sexual shame and fear 
the shame and fear, you know, you were talking about the baby bust. I mean, yeah, the babies and yeah, the baby bust, the baby bust, really. Who would want to bring a baby in with this time of uncertainty? And, you know, sex is relieving and sex is a stress relief. But when we're afraid for our life, we're not really thinking about I'm going to go have sex right now. That's right. Yeah. And as we're talking about this, there's there we have seen a big influx with our clients and these conversations yeah. that either you know younger couples that don't have children or couples that already have children that were you know at the time and before all this happened discussing another child and a lot of them have reversed that decision overall i mean and that's going to that's another cause for concern because now we're looking at the impact affecting the overall population which then in about 10 15 years economic wise you know is a whole other threat but the overall ideology of well covid was going to equal all these babies and sex in fact it's in our opinion done the opposite what an eclectic conversation tonight we went from your pornography to baby bust baby booms babies not happening lack of sex it's been it's been pretty fun and we got to talk about healthy sexuality and yes we got to talk about responsible sex and we got to talk about pleasure i mean i you know that that book ethical porn for dicks a man's guide to responsible viewing pleasure it was really cool that i got to publish a book with the word ethical responsible and pleasure in the title and because dick. yeah and dick yeah. i mean we need ethical dicks out there those are the issues with sexuality that I want to talk about more. Mm -hmm. Rather than talking about you're a bad person because of your sexual behaviors, can we instead talk about how you can be a good person and engage in those same behaviors? Yeah. I had this one kid who came to me who um, he was desperately afraid that his sexual fantasies made him a bad person and a rapist and a potential offender because his fantasy the thing that turned him on the most was to fantasize about pardon my french but you know face fucking a girl until tears and mascara kind of ran down her face and he had grown up with with feminist women in his life he was a very feminist empowered kind of guy he didn't want to be mean or nasty to women and the fact that that turned him on more than anything else made him worry that he was a bad guy and I said, you know, the funny thing is there's a lot of women out there where that's their fantasy too. Yes. Your job is to find one of them women and not engage in that behavior with a woman who's not into it unless she is willing to try to be into it for you consensually. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, your your sexual fantasy doesn't make you a bad person. And that's a message that that I think is really important for us to get out there, that we don't get to choose what turns us on. But what we do get to choose is what we do with that information, how we enact it in the world in a consensual, honest, ethical, negotiated way. I was just about to ask you if you had any final advice, but I don't know if you could top that. That was pretty damn poetic. Yeah, it, I guess my only last question for you, David, is, did you have fun tonight? Absolutely. You guys are a fun crew. Um, now, did you know that the camera is above you and I can see everything you guys are doing? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. I, I, I didn't want to tell you before because I was hoping I might see something I wasn't supposed to see. <laughs> oh, I mean, 
Usually I flash people, but. Well, now suddenly I'm disappointed. And I'm wishing I was one of those people. God. Clearly, wow, clearly you're not that important. That is now not I have to come back. <laughs> okay, so that's not how that was meant to, to mm, come out. But, but, it, it, did, but it did. It did come out that it's way. It's there, and I'm not changing that. That's beautiful. Wonderful, wonderful, yeah. No, yeah, we do know. We're pretty transparent about everything yeah we don't care I'm surprised you didn't see me flipping him off a few times <laughs> yeah as he was sometimes i have to control the speed of the show and i have to tell her hey you need to move this up we need to get past this we're we're past our limitation in, in this section and i'm a talker and i'll just keep talking <laughs> yeah, yeah you will that's because you don't we, have yeah we all, we all need the engineers to keep us moving man. Yeah. yeah all right so i did do some light stalking and by that i mean heavily stalking you and found out that you are you are very proficient in jiu-jitsu? Yeah, I have a, a, a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I've been working out with, with jiu-jitsu folks probably 16 years or so, and I was a wrestler back in the day too, so grappling kind of comes natural to me. And I connect that, and the reason why I ask that is because, you know, grappling is very a sexual sport to me, I think. It's very sexual, wouldn't you agree? You're no. a grappler. I, clearly, you've never been a competitor for BJJ. When I, see, when I hear grappling, <laughs> I mean, it's sweaty men touching each other. I can tell you I've never been turned on. I've been hurt. I've been embarrassed. I've gotten my pride kicked down my throat a couple times. Uh, but I've never been turned on when I've been doing a NAGA tournament ever. So is it just me being turned on by the thought of you guys doing yeah. this? Yeah, I think that's exactly yeah, what yes. now, now, I will say I have coached and, and mentored a few women who do uh, sexy wrestling and sexy submission kind of stuff. And teaching them how to use how to use jujitsu in those kinds of situations at Burning Man and at some trainings um, that I've done. One of my claims to fame is teaching people naked self defense and the the moves that you could use, um, whether you know something like a Darce choke, various kind of sweeps and stuff. If you're in, frankly, a, a sexual assault situation, here's how you can get out. And, and here's how you can submit the person. And it's cool because it, you know, it's me getting to, to kind of give back and also be around sexy naked people. Yeah, I was just saying. <laughs> I think I need to sign up for this course. Well, to be, to be fair, though, when you're an instructor, you don't always get to choose your students either. So I'm not going to say that's probably always the best. I have an extensive background in instruction with the military, the federal government, and now skydiving. And sometimes you don't want to see certain people naked, just to be honest. Just going to throw that that, huh. that part out there. I'm trying to deflate your fantasy just a little bit <laughs> to make it more realistic. So what I hear you saying is you're going to go naked skydiving with me. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think that that would be a remarkably unique publicity move. And um, okay. Yeah. But you. Oh, I'm <laughs> not jumping. Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm not. <laughs> you're not the one connected to the instructor, David. Is. <laughs> I know it's David. I'm so going to be in the plane naked. Have you even asked him what he's okay with? I'm just planning out his jump. I'm thinking about our publicity. How awesome <clears throat> oh, this is going to be. Boy. Would you skydive naked, David? Well, I mean, I've been naked in lots of situations. Um, luckily, the the videos of those have not yet ended up on um, all over the internet, but. I can't imagine that 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 streak will go very long. 
Yeah, so if he if you guys jump naked, I would uh, assume that that would go viral pretty quick. <laughs> I mean, we could have a little space bars. <clears throat> I mean, it's legal. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's, it's perfectly legal. There's nothing illegal about it. <laughs> Maybe a uh, another podcast, and and we walk everyone through an audio version of that whole experience. Would Maybe. Be Maybe. Maybe. I, I think people need to see the visual. It's going to be fun. Well, okay, and... <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see David naked. I mean, now that we're just being honest. Say, so, so, David, I don't know if you know, but I was on uh, Playboy TV Swing, the show, and from someone that's been naked in front of a national audience, I think y'all should talk just a little bit more. It's not everything it's... Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's oh, choked yeah. up to be um, sometimes. <laughs> I just want to... Yeah, I mean, I, I do a lot of forensic work, and, and, you know, I haven't yet had an attorney bring up to me. So, um, please explain to me this article interviewing you in Hustler magazine, but I'm sure that will happen at some point. And, and then I... I can't wait for the attorneys to say, and before we allow you to testify, we want to show the jury this video of you naked skydiving. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, darn. You know how to live life. Man. Because <laughs> that, that takes away from your credibility. <laughs> such a You're such a boring person, David. I'm going to have to ask you to spice it up a little. But no, he makes, <laughs> he makes a strong I, I will work to step it up. <laughs> he really does make a valid point. When I worked for the federal government, as an investigator, I had to, they call it cleansing. I had to, to, to write in and cleanse my experience in life so it couldn't be used in court. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. <laughs> I, will, I will just circling back. I mean, that's a, that's about shame. Mm-hmm. That is about the sexual shame that exists in our society where we view people who engage in sexual behavior or public nudity or things like that as deficient or immoral or you know um, unintelligent or or all of these other things that is just about sexual shame and i'd love to live in a world where the fact that somebody was sexual didn't mean that they were a bad person didn't mean that they were an unhealthy person didn't mean that they were unsafe didn't mean that their opinion was yeah absolutely well and Clearly, I got to keep my career and I retired. I go on Playboy TV. Yep. (laughs) I got very lucky where this all occurred right when LGBTQI community was really blowing up, really making a lot of noise in the media. And so when they brought it to my attention, actually, I brought it to their attention. And when it came up and we found ourselves in HR, uh, because my boss didn't care, so he hired me, but he failed to explain that to the agency. <clears throat> and so somebody else found my episode. And my first question was, so have you asked me if I'm bisexual, if my experience was based on my sexuality, or are you just accusing me of trying to be a porn star? And that was the end of that conversation, and I never heard about it again. Now, one of my so one of my favorite stories, and I, I, I was going to write a book about it, and then somebody else did, is uh, the story of William Marsters Moulton, who invented the lie detector. And he was a psychologist in the 1920s and 30s. He advised on the development of Wonder Woman, the comic book, because the, the comic people came to him and said, we need a, a character for female, for girls to get into, and he helped create Wonder Woman. The cool thing is that he was polyamorous and kinky. He lived with two women. Um, They had a BDSM dominant kind of relationship. And the FBI knew all of this. 
And so that, you know, the this guy was living this really remarkable, kinky, non-monogamous life, you know, 100 years ago. The FBI knew about it and basically didn't care because his science was good. And while, while the polygraph, you know, is not really held up 100 years later as, as being valid, he was he was bringing, you know, evidence and critical thinking in and the fact that he was kinky and sexy, they said, eh, so what? So if the FBI could make that decision then, they can make it now. Well, and they still do, because if you're kinky, at least you're not killing people. Right. <laughs> or so they think. Well, that's your kink. I mean, there's... Well, that's different, yeah. Well, uh, David, we've had an absolute pleasure. It has been a blast. Thank you for all of the information. We've had so much fun. Ah, yes, and I appreciate you taking the time, because I know you're a very busy man, very busy, and I really do appreciate you. So hopefully well, I can work with you in the future as soon as I get this fucking doctorate, and then I'm going to start <laughs> hanging out with the big dogs and, you know, well, rubbing you know, elbows. And Margo says lovely things about you. So, well, thank so you. So thank you for supporting her. She's a big fan. She just did a show with us, too. Yep. She's pretty oh, cool. cool. Yeah. Dr. Lay, first – I want to say thank you for sharing all your great information, your enthusiasm, your knowledge, your expertise. Tell people how they can find you. Social media, websites, this is your time to kind of plug yourself and let them know how do they find you and find your work. Well, before I plug myself, I need to get out the loop. Come on. <laughs> um, you can find me on at Dr. David Lay. One important thing is that my last name, even though it sounds like getting laid, is actually spelled L-E-Y. As a, as, a, as a young psychologist with the last name Lay, being a sex doctor was basically my only option. So at Dr. David Lay is uh, Twitter and Instagram and that stuff. DavidLayPhD.com is my website. You can find me there. Um, you know, my books are on Amazon. Uh, Twitter's a good way to connect with me and see what I'm working on. So that is Dr. David Lay, L-E-Y being the last name. And if you missed any of this information, just go to thesexylifestyle.com. You can also go to Stephanie and I's website, stephanieandfox.com. Tune in next time for another great hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, sexual health, and pleasure, and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life. Well, that's it for today's show. On behalf of Carol and David, we are Stephanie and Fox, sending you lots of love and great sex. Stay safe and, of course, stay sexy, everyone. Until next time. Have a good night. Good night. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever. <laughs> <laughs>